Thank you for the very fresh pepperminty rendition of our theme, Johnny O'Keefe, and welcome to the episode seven of the <laughs> Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we like to talk all about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is, in alphabetical order, Alison, Daniel, and Kim. Hello! Hey! How are we all at this t- day of recording? <sighs> Exhausted. <laughs> Um, in lockdown. Yeah, just trying not to think about politics either. That too. Yeah, because you're based in London, correct, Alison? Yes, and London is back in lockdown and, you know, we can only go out for shopping and exercise and, and medical appointments basically or, or work if you can only work outside your home. So, yep, good times, everyone. Uh, well, That's just me every day anyway. <laughs> Thankfully, there's no uh, exemption on podcasting, so uh, we're fine there. No, no, that is true. And I think you're right, Kim. I think once you get into your 40s, it's quite easy to comply with with many of the lockdown rules because that is kind of your life in normal (laughs) circumstances. This is my life now. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. First of all, thank you very much for downloading and listening to this fresh new episode. And you're still continuing on. This is episode seven. I can't believe we've made it this far. So hooray for us. Yay. 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 <laughs> We've got a little bit of feedback and we've been trying to keep this a bit more streamlined, more shorter. And so thank you very much, Craig McDonald, for saying, you know, yep, we need to keep this a bit more tighter, uh, but they're, they're finding it more entertaining still. Thank you so much. I could go on and on, but his comments on YouTube. So feel free to visit the Champagne Sketch Comedy YouTube channel. You'll see it in there somewhere. As well as uh, Lance, uh, he's the one who supplied the original uh, audio bite of, you know, the quotes that I put out a request for of your breast impression. I made love to her like a tiger, like a tiger. (laughs) He's enjoying the podcast a lot. So thank you very much for contributing to that. And I have a bit more about the audio grabs a bit later on. So Please stay tuned. Daniel, I'll pass, yeah, pass the microphone over to you. I'm amazed that we didn't get any comments about this uh, from last episode. I went through that uh, SMH article, uh, which mentioned the degeneration, uh, belittling a Melbourne tabloid journalist and illustrator, and then I, I got you to play the uh, newly made grab. Water key. <laughs> I think because I just loved it so much, but the thing is, I realised after recording... No, hang on, it wasn't Warner Key. Fidgen. There we go. That's the guy. So Excellent. I'm so glad that Robert Fidgen has got his own um, sting as well. That's great. We're calling, um, you know, any uh, constructive criticism a... Warner Key. So, I mean, thankfully, if, if we wanted to call something a... Fidgen. That can be any sort of uh, cartoon where... The person depicted uh, can't be recognised, or um, perhaps uh, one of those like, poorly thought out things where something has to be labelled in, in order for the cartoon to work. I think the, the usual cliche is uh, sinking ship labelled the economy. <laughs> ah, yes. Like, like yeah. if, if you have to label something like that, then the cartoon doesn't work. And just uh, try yeah. the concept. But anyway, uh, so we, we we can call that a vision. <laughs> so, right. so basically, if there are any sketches in the Late Show where the joke doesn't work, you'll you'll play the following: Sting, Fidgen. Yeah, 
Exactly. Or, or is it water key <laughs> when it's quite negative? Yeah. No, none of this is going to get confusing or annoying at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> if it's half half, it will be water key. <laughs> And uh, one more bit of feedback, uh, Ross McPhee, who's a regular listener, thank you. He has some trivia tidbits about Ray Burgess from last episode. He said that his daughter later played Tony Basil in a live stage show parody of Countdown, which was devised and written by Brian Mannix, uh, the former lead singer of the Uncanny X-Men and also the writer of hit songs for the soundtrack to Houseboat Horror, which, you know, that will pop up later on in the series. So mm. Thank you very much, it Ross. It all connects. Yes. <laughs> That's all the feedback. So please tweet us TLS Champagne or email ChampagneLateShow at gmail.com. In fact, on Twitter, uh, Peter Phoebe, he says that the one thing he does have to say about the Late Show cast doing Ice T's Cop Killer from episode six in the toilet break is that their version sounds way better than the original. Also, some listeners, some new listeners, Angie Silverstone, um, Silverstone, my apologies, uh, you have a podcast. Gosh, where, what rock have I been laying under? as well as <laughs> Dr. Ricky Squat Pump, MD. <laughs> I, I don't think he's certified. No. <laughs> uh, you have to forgive me too. I've only just subscribed, so bring on Charlie the Wonder Dog Chatter. So thank you very much for that. Welcome, everyone. So, All right. Um, we should probably rip into the TV guide real quickly. Yeah, up against this episode on Channel 7, we had the movie Young Guns from 1988. The little critiques that come in the Saturday Age um, TV listings um, from Ross Warnke are quite the eye-opener, really. Um, he says that Young Guns is strictly for dewy-eyed teenage girls. <laughs> Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland and Lou Diamond Phillips and it seems every other young Hollywood hunk feature in this story of a pack of young misfits hired by a rancher to protect him and his property from the local villains. Then over on Channel 9, we've got a Australian miniseries called Fields of Fire 2. It's a repeat in one four-hour hit of the above-average Australian-produced miniseries set in the Queensland sugar cane fields. World War II has just ended, but the war years have upset relationships and an influx of immigrant workers have caused other problems. Now, doesn't that sound a bit like Snowy? It does, it does. a bit, yeah. yeah. Mac and uh, Hey Hey, which was on earlier, had uh, guests Alison Durbin, Paul Norton, The Black Sorrows and Max Walker. A good old Maxie Walker. Must have been another book he was plugging. <laughs> Over on Channel 10, there was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from 1984. Archaeologist Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford and a nightclub singer Kate Capshaw are persuaded by Indian villagers to recover a stolen sacred stone. Says Warnicky. More action than Raiders of the Lost Ark, but the story is inane. Now, oh, on gosh. SBS... Yeah, I know, it's a little bit harsh. Um, on SBS, uh, we've got uh, a German drama called The Enigma of Kaspar Hauser from 1975. Says Warnicke, the extraordinary true story of a man who almost two centuries ago was freed after spending most of his youth in prison, imprisoned in a cellar and had to learn the ways of the world. Now, doesn't that seem like in temporary times? Yeah. I, I've seen that film and it's extremely boring, so I don't agree with that. Okay. Uh, directed by Werner, Hurt, uh, Werner Herzog, uh, stars Bruno S., uh, who Warnicke says coincidentally spent 22 years in confinement before Herzog discovered him. So right. it was a role he was born to play. It wasn't worth coming out for that film. <laughs> Okay, last of all on the ABC. Before the late show, we've got the final uh, of the series of Smith and Jones. Mm. 
Now, as to what's on after that, what do we do without Smith and Jones? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I see what you're doing what, there. What do I do when you are far away? All right, no, look, actually, look, little spoiler alert, it's not Birds of a Feather yet, okay? What it is, you'll have to find out in two episodes' time because we we, we need people listening to this podcast, so you'll find out in episode nine. (laughs) And then after the late show at 11 o'clock, we've got another movie, Torrents of Spring from 1990, uh, says Warnicky. American Timothy Hutton plays a Russian betrothed to a German pastry cook, played by Valeria Golino, but is distracted by a married beauty, Natasha Kinski. A French-Italian co-production directed by a Pole, unquote. Um, And then after that, Rage featuring Ed Cooper. All right, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. I think I got through that in record time. You did. (laughs) Thank you very much for that, Daniel. And we shall start with Season 1, Episode 7 of The Late Show, which was broadcast Saturday, August 29th, 1992. The opening sketch is Foreign Correspondent with George Negus, which was a parody introduction, which George Negus goes to present his regular show, and then he pulls a shifty because he's talking about penetrating a dark and secret cult based in Melbourne whose primitive that word, yep, <laughs> rituals, uh, televised every Saturday night, The Late Show. Yeah, to a largely indifferent audience. Which had, I guess, or a correspondent kind of had, or that, that sketch itself was, a, to me, was a bit of a foreshadow of they could write something like The Frontline, maybe? Mm-hmm. Or am I overthinking it? I think I'm overthinking it. It's a it's a good um, false opener, though. You know, it, it's a nice surprise. And anyone who'd stuck around after Smith and Jones and they thought, hang on, why is foreign correspondent on? And I like the idea that a few people would have been fooled by that. Yeah, I was all, almost fooled when I started watching it, thinking, hang on, I'm waiting for the late show. And then war, famine, crisis, and despair from all around the globe to brighten your Saturday night. <laughs> there was one slightly annoying thing for me. Um, you know how Tony Martin, uh, I think he's said before about how he couldn't get one word into the Da Vinci Code because it started with the word renowned. It was yeah. like renowned archaeologist so and so, and like he couldn't get past that adjective there. Isn't it? Is renowned an adjective anyway? Um, <laughs> like, it's a word. It's a word. Yeah. <laughs> George Negus's intro starts off saying evening and welcome to foreign correspondent and i just went nobody ever starts a tv show with just evening like they usually say good evening or hello but who just goes evening is it just me no no that that sounds about right because you would say good morning but it it would really date it if that makes sense yeah because especially when abc would replay it but then again they'll be playing it on a night time or then first thing Saturday morning. It's like play school when they say today is Wednesday and they, they have to play it on a Wednesday because if they play it on a Tuesday, it won't be Wednesday. It just, it seems really, it, it stuck out like a sore thumb to me. And yeah, like I, I suppose I can't think of anybody except George Bloody Negus who could start a TV program with just evening. Or he could always go, G'day, welcome to Foreign Correspondent. Yeah. I'm George Negus. I think kind of like the word G'day, where there's there's a few um, letters in it, or in the in the phrase which are kind of you know covered up for by an apostrophe. I think the word good is an apostrophe, and so he sort of goes evening like this. So it sounded <laughs> so it's kind of like he's he's massively contracted the word good 
into, into, into <laughs> there was an apostrophe in there. You just can't see it. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe I didn't hear it. Yeah, and maybe maybe yeah. you did say good evening. It's your shoddy VHS tape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you listen carefully, it's like when Neil Armstrong went on the moon. He actually said, or he actually said something slightly different, but it was a bit bit of interference, wasn't there? So we have the opening titles and. After the opening titles, which has uh, you know some refreshed little visuals in it, we have the opening remarks with Mick and Tony, and they coming to Australia live all the way to the pointy bits of Australia. You know those really <laughs> pointy bits. They were also talking about the political adverts back on TV. So I'm not a big political person, but with my lightest research that I've done on it, it was around 1991. There was something to do or that was put into government legislation or whatever about political advertisements. Do you know anything about it? So so they put into law that you have to have that little sort of thing at the end, you know, saying authorised by blah, 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 Canberra, that that sort of thing. I got a feeling, yeah, like a disclaimer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the equivalent is, you know, in American, as they have, you know, I'm Donald Trump and I approve this message. You know, it, it's that. It's it's to make it absolutely, totally clear to the audience that it's definitely a political ad. Oh, that would make sense because I guess if you listen back to the old Goth Whitlam one where they're saying, you know, it's time and there's no, yeah. you know, authorised blah, 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 blah. Most of these ads, they, they often feature, you know, pictures of the politician who's standing for office or whatever, and you would think that in a lot of cases it's fairly clear what it is, but, you know, I suppose for the, the more obtuse ones, they need to make it clear it's a political ad. In the same way that Facebook adds the little message now. I, I should probably, uh, this might burst your bubble a little bit, but I reckon, because I've, I've done scant research for this part as well, I think it, there might have been a Victorian state election um, this year, 1992. It was because... Yeah. Joan Kerner and Jeff Kennett switch over. Mm. No, just just having having a, a quick look. Um, the 1992 Victorian election was uh, held on the 3rd of October. There you are. So, I reckon it might have been maybe that an election was called, but they didn't really couch it that way. Maybe just to help accommodate a national audience. I mean the pointy bits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those bits. There's a Wikipedia category: 1992 elections in Australia. Um, so there was an ACT election, a Queensland state election, a Tasmanian state election, a Western Australian daylight saving referendum. Wow. So it's all happening. They start talking about the Australian legal system as well. And Alan Bond back on the streets after he's doing his time in prison. The Australian legal system is running like clockwork with Bondi, Sir Joe, Scacy, and the other bloke who gave the finger to the speed camera. Yeah, who was the bloke who gave the finger to the speed camera? I have no memory of that guy. It seems to raise quite a big cheer from the audience, though. Yeah. Anyone who knows what that guy giving the finger to the speed camera is, please send us, even if you're that guy, send us a tweet at TLS Champagne. So the news desk with Tommy G, and we have the following. The BBC correspondent Martin Bell being hit by a freak sniper shot. Now, this was a reference to him being on location reporting in Sarajevo, and he was wounded by shrapnel. I researched that one. Iraqis celebrate the opening of Saddam World Theme Park with footage of Saddam Hussein statue and some really dodgy arches. It really looked like derelict piss world Iraq style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pakistan denies England claims that they tampered with a cricket ball and they show someone holding a square cricket ball or a cube ball. So a nice <laughs> little visual joke. Another great day for the prop masters there having to make a square ball. 
Now, the main stories, a peace talk over Yugoslav crises are underway in London with key players John Major, Boutros Ghali, Slobodan Milosevic, Milan Putic, and the home viewer who enjoys swimming and riding his bike. $25 behind him. I'll definitely chase him <laughs> over the others. Again, it's, it's a really dumb joke, but it's just... Everybody loves it. Now, the Bosnian-Serbian leader, Radovan Karadic... I'll go with, uh, left after people made fun of his hairpiece and he eventually calmed down, returned, lit a candle in prosperity and burnt down the whole building, showing footage of uh, one of the buildings set alight. <laughs> uh, good old visual joke. Now, Alan Bond was released from prison. He broke down to reporters and was highly emotional during a press conference when he realised he had to spend time with his wife, Elaine. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a Tommy G joke there, right there. And, and in Canberra, the guy who drove into Parliament House two weeks beforehand appeared in the court and they cue a fantastic visual joke of a car driving into the stairway of the courthouse, which was in Melbourne. <laughs> do, you, do you know which one that was at all? I think we talked about it, yeah, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago when it actually happened. Um, well, they were standing um, up front, yeah. It's an interesting piece of detail with that story, though, that he, he the reason he drove into Parliament House was he was attempting to kill John Hewson, which which was a piece of detail we hadn't got from the previous weeks of Tommy G's news desk. So Im- imagine feeling so annoyed with the world that your plan is to kill John Hewson. I'm just going to yes. leave that there. Well, he did use the indicator to drive in. Yeah, that's true. He he was really seriously after Dr. Houston there. Well, in Miami, the worst hurricane in 50 years, with Hurricane Andrew represented in a shithouse graphic. And the people (laughs) affected were landowners, shopkeepers, and and there's a Rodney King joke right there, which I won't go into detail. I'm trying to work out the bit of footage they had there. I don't think it was Rodney King, but it was just as oddly placed and, yeah, weird to look at. Yeah. It was a joke of its time. I quite enjoyed um, uh, Rob Sitcher's Dan Mikulkowski, the American correspondent in that sketch. And he's looking very, very Mike Moore with the kind of, you know, um, Ray Martin sort of comb over hair, which is is a good look for him. And all the wind was blowing around him, but his hair was still in place. Exactly. And that's how Ray's would have been as well. Definitely. Yeah, I did Google that name just to see who who came up. They called him Dan, but it says Don in the caption there. But there's there's no match for this person, so he's just your yeah, generic American weather correspondent. Did you pick up any of the names that Tommy G decided to kind of rename? Uh, like you're saying that Hurricane Andrew was a very piss weak name. Yes. <laughs> Hurricane Andrew, take cover! So who else do they have? Uh, Cyclone Nathan and uh, Gentle Breeze Barry. (laughs) (laughs) And I do do like that. It's almost an aside from uh, from Tom there. I mean, um, I would say probably not ad-libbed, but probably written at short notice, and it's it's a great crowd pleaser too. Did you uh, notice anything in that green guide a few days later? that someone had actually written in and kicked up a stink about that Hurricane Andrew joke that Tommy G had done now. This is from the Green Guide as soon as I zoom out uh, on the Thursday, the 3rd of September. And we have David Castle. He was, he's basically pulling a water key. And I'll keep this quick because it's only two paragraphs and he was saying it was the most fortuitous that the D-Generation had a good week uh, talking about other news and stuff like that or tragic news items to work in the late show on Saturday. There was a devastation of Cyclone Andrew in Florida and showing footage and they were just making jokes left, right and centre. 
especially in a future joke which we're about to mention about the fatal helicopter crash. Yeah, but basically that that they're insensitive and it seems to be a trend that's uh, that's in our young intelligent satirists quote that in itself is a real tragedy. Unquote. Mm. Well, David Castle. We've sort of picked up on this point a few times in previous episodes about, you know, how we thought some of the jokes were sort of a bit lame or, or you know, they were kind of making fun of, of tragedies. And, and I, would, I would tend to agree with the helicopter footage because watching that helicopter mm. footage, it's genuinely terrifying. And you can see mm. that, you know, you're basically watching the last moments of someone's life there. And I can see why basically the majority of people would think that, that that's a poor target for comedy. So I, I think the letter writer has a point there. As we go back to London, Lord Carrington resigns as peacekeeper with Rob dressed up as Carrington with a satellite delay, which was quite amusing because it just goes out the window pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And Tommy quickly heads to London and throws water on Carrington slash Rob. Well, see, I, I, I think that the, the joke is more that it's not, well, it certainly sounds like a satellite delay, but I think it's just more that it's a failure in communication in general, really. Rob seems to say a lot of, oh, yes, yes, indeed, um, just interrupting Tom all the time. Yeah, and it's like he's got a very low attention span and he's not exactly listening to what Tom's saying, so he has to go over to London and just <laughs> say, hey. <laughs> Uh, I also like Rob's uh, little chat with himself while uh, Tom's heading to London, as it were. And yes, indeed, the Serbs, a lot of them have Vich at the end of their name. Big problem. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just sort of showing uh, in a different way, I suppose, that yeah, there's a lack of communication when it comes to a peace negotiator. Unless he knows yeah. that shit and then he's purposely sabotaging the sketch. <laughs> there's, there's always a chance. Yeah. It's a bit like, um, you know, Monty Python when they can't work out how to end a sketch so they just do something incredibly weird and uh, totally illogical. And, and this is exactly what they've done with this. And, and it's, a, it's a funny punchline. We should have a bingo card for the amount of times that they say it didn't work in rehearsal and it didn't work now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't do that as a drinking game or you'll get drunk very, very quickly. <laughs> well, I, I didn't notice a main event reference in this episode. Oh, what? Was there one? I I don't... Oh, was there one? I must have missed it. There was one. There was one, yes. Oh, God. (laughs) So I think that's like the third main event joke. (laughs) So now we have the 20 inappropriate love themes, and this is a Tony Martin favourite, with the march of the British Grenadiers, the B-barrel polka, Barnyard in Orbit, the theme from Please Sir, Popcorn, the Smurfs song, and as he's talking the voiceover towards the end, uh, the Spanish flea tune that was used later when front bottom leads to mudfields. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, I really like this sketch. And because when I was 15 years old and I had that little crush on Santa that I keep going on about, this was uh, quite quite good because there's little romantic scenes with Santo and how they, he and Jane were together by the fireplace having a romantic candlelight dinner, thinking, oh, yes, it's a shame that he's married and it's a shame that's not one of us. <laughs> that was very sad. Um, but I really like um, Tony's descriptions of those songs, how he's saying, oh, the sensual pleasures of popcorn or the ultimate tearjoker, the Smurf song. And just, and yeah, it's just really funny, I thought. Yeah, I looked at that again and felt a bit nostalgic for, for those days. You purchased this from El Faro's Travel, which of course appeared in a previous sketch. <laughs> the listing at the end is just, yeah, very inappropriate. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, in, in addition to Welfare, as we had uh, Larder Motors, Timmins Upholstery, 
Big Ben <laughs> Pizzas, uh, the Spa Factory, and all Braking outlets. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, also, some enterprising uh, person uh, has made uh, these inappropriate love themes into a playlist on Spotify. <laughs> oh, really? I still got it saved as a favourite in my account. I think it might have been tweeted out by Champagne Comedy um, on Twitter, at TLS Champagne. Well, we will um, redo it again. Oh, definitely. The total running time of uh, all of the inappropriate love themes is 13 minutes. Huh. So just the right length for a loving embrace. <laughs> also, the pendant in me wants to say that it's not 20 uh, inappropriate love themes there. It's only six. It doesn't really matter because there's a, a sequel to this sketch uh, further along in the series. So. Well, the next sketch, well, it's not actually a sketch, but it is a setup to a sketch, and that is Tony and Mick on the couch talking about their early stand-up career and the show footage of their, quote, early work, unquote, and being heckled. The person who was the MC for this sketch. Now, this person, this thank you to Ross for sending this because he's basically preempting the fact that we're about to review this sketch. And that is the person who was MCing was Tony and Mick's friend Andrew Goodwin, who was a regular mm. on Martin Malloy at the ill fated comedy gig. He also appeared in Bang Goes to Budgie on ABC TV 1985 and Star Search on Channel 10 from 85 to 86. So thank you very much for that, Ross. I also know him from a short-lived podcast from a while ago, which was called The Chat, which was him, Tim Smith, just trying to remember the other guy. He's, oh, he's on the chase now, the Goliath guy. Will that be Matthew Quartermain? Uh, yes, it would, yes. Of Full Frontal Era as well. Yeah. So with that, this is straight off the Best of Bits DVD. So, you know, where they go and employ Private Detective Bluey before he became Barjass. And they track down all the hecklers for revenge. Show us your double album. <laughs> oh yeah, that was yeah. at Brash, Brashes in Elizabeth the Street, Elizabeth Melbourne. Store, yeah. Mm. Yep. Well, these are the people who heckled them. So it was Chris Ash who works at Elizabeth Street Brushes. David Watkins, who was the <laughs> the sign guy for the Australian Diamond Company. <laughs> yeah, handing out brochures. Laughing Ed Phillips who is in charge of Thirsty Thursdays, Flat Knackers Fridays and Set Your Sister on Fire and Winner Sackler's Shit Saturdays. Now, he was a real um, radio disc jockey, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, Ed Phillips. Apparently for, forever christened as Laughing Ed Phillips after that sketch and, and he, it became a, a kind of a real sort of weight on his shoulders to carry that, that burden um, of this sketch because people would constantly refer to it. Yeah, it's, it's good that he was able to laugh it off. There was also Chris Cox, who was a chef, uh, Caroline Davies, the McDonald's drive through person, and other random locations was uh, in an office, a library. Show us your reference section. <laughs> the street director. Uh, Firefighters, yeah. Yep, firefighters, elephants at a zoo, and someone who was... Uh, Stone dead at a cemetery. Show us your tasks. Pack your arms. Yeah. I love the firemen because they obviously just chanced upon a fire truck as they were driving around and they just started randomly yelling at them and the firemen are just laughing back at them. <laughs> it's really brilliant. Yeah. So the, the other thing is, did, did you notice that um, with the, the firemen that um, Tony was actually absent in that? It was just Mick? No. No, no. no not at all. It's sort of, I mean, because it goes by pretty quick, you don't really notice, uh, which is good. The other thing I noticed is that they, they have a, a go at like a some sort of a sales guy in a meeting 
And I'm pretty sure that may have been impromptu. I think it might have happened at Triple M. If you pause, like freeze frame through that little part, you'll see that there's all of these pieces of paper on the wall to the left, and those seem to have pretty clearly, to my, to my eyes, the Triple M Wings Angel Dr. Dan logo. Okay, mm. so they might have filmed it at the same time when they did Laughing at Phillips because that would be in the Collins Street St Kilda Studios. Mm. In fact, you could you could probably say that about most of these heckles that I'd say it's probably a 50-50 chance that some, some of the recipients were in on it and some were just strangers who just copped an odd shellacking for no reason, really. Yeah, that's what it looks like, certainly. And they wrap up with their own rendition of their heckled routine and Aaron Beaucaire the master of them all just comes up and smacks Mick with a bottle and decks him. <laughs> Which is the, the only re- appropriate response to I say, I say, I say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now the next segment. Hey. The Olden Days, Episode 7, I'd Kill for a Coffee. And this one is basically <laughs> centralising or putting a spotlight on Sergeant Alden. Yeah, he hasn't had much of a go, Sergeant Alden, so far in this series. So, you know, it's nice to see him getting out and about and purchasing coffee from what, what is obviously a gold panning machine. <laughs> yeah. All that for a cappuccino. He's got to give Governor Front Bottom the coffee to avoid the uh, billiard cue punishment. Um, yes. And that's <laughs> the peril. Yeah, and that was all because some people in the mudfields asked about Alden's unconvincing scar and he had staged an unauthorized flashback. No cold chisel on my chain gang. No chirpy chirpy <laughs> cheap cheek. And uh, definitely no stuff with the tin lids. Not the tin lids. <laughs> They were very topical in 1992. So Jimmy Barnes' kids, uh, the group formed in 1990, put out a Christmas album called Hey Rudolph uh, in 1991, and a couple of months earlier had come up with a second album called Snakes and Ladders. There was a single that came off of that, which was a cover of Walk the Dinosaur. I remember all of this. That was a closet (laughs) favourite as a kid. Now, were the the Timbers really that reviled? I think they were. It just seems to be of, of novelty, really. They, they were, I think they were a good target for comedy, I think, you know, because they had such a high profile and, and they were kind of kind of lame kids, you know, and, and, you know, you could very easily make a joke about them. I don't think they were bad necessarily. No. I did notice that those CDs were very common in the secondhand CD shops in the 90s. If anyone wants <laughs> to trawl through those, would, there was always be a, a tin lids CD there. I've got Hey Rudolph, but not Snakes and Ladders. So after Alden avoids getting the billiard cue shoved up his back passage, we have commercial crime stoppers with Mick and Santo. And Santo wants to know what is Mick's favourite band. And that is IKD, the country western singer. Who? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, I could not find anything about what IKD, well, who IKD stands for, let alone this album. But it's just, it's superb, like almost regional TV style commercial. Mm, I think I was described as an absolute kaleidoscope of colour, movement and graphics. I can't see, believe I, this even made it to air in regional television, you know. <laughs> I had to transcribe the, the voiceover for this commercial because it's just it's just stunning. It goes, yes, it's out now. IKD's second album, this one in country style. 
16 tracks by a new voice in country and western music. The guy's so bloody old. <laughs> hang on, hang on. What, what, was the, what was the style of his first album? Was he doing punk rock or, you know? <laughs> he rivaled Metallica. Yeah. Uh, you'll love the toe-tapping beat, the easy listening, the fresh approach to well-known evergreen songs. And, yeah, that, uh, <laughs> my God. It's just, it's an old guy singing from a jack to a king. I wonder if any of his tracks made it to the 20 inappropriate love themes. <laughs> but somewhere on side two, it, it, they would have been. Yeah, yeah. A silent track or something like that. If anyone's got a copy of, of IKD's album, do, do send us a copy of it. You can be purely anonymous. We won't tell anyone who you are. Yeah, we'll set up like a, a WikiLeaks sort of Dropbox to anonymously <laughs> drop. <laughs> so Santo and Mick take pride in their clothing and clothes maketh the man, but Dentil maketh the bedazzler. Yay! Yay! <laughs> yeah, I was watching this just before, and my daughter's like, "Yeah, what is this meant to be?" And, and I realized she didn't realize this was actually a real ad, and then yeah. once she realized it was actually no no parody, this was actually real, then she understood why it was being shown. <laughs> but yeah, it was one of those ones where. Um, we used to just quote in the playground, be safe, be seen, be dazzled, which was Santa's <laughs> line at the end. Um, and they probably did get a bedazzler to actually spruce up those jackets of theirs. Um, it's a fashion statement that's worth heaps. It'll turn all your old clothes into something that's actually able to make you some money, apparently. Turn ordinary jeans into expensive fashion by adding studs or stones, which were just bits of plastic, really. The bit that I can't believe about uh, the Bedazzler is it's like any sort of invention. Like you're reliant in in having to have those studs and fake jewels to put in the Bedazzler in order to bedazzle up your clothes. So, I mean, I don't know whether you can get replacement jewels or whatever you want to call it, um, let alone the actual Bedazzler anymore. It's sort of, it's it's like, um, you know, razors and razor blades, really. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, they, I think they've never broken down. They're just plastic, so they're still out there. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a terrifying thought? The other flaw with the bedazzler is that, you know, it was sort of fashionable for about two years to have jewels and stuff like that on your clothes, and then a couple of years later it's completely out of fashion, so no one needs a bedazzler anymore. But this if, you can, if you can find the refills, you can make spare money at home. I yeah. was amazed by the, that line in, in the uh, in the TV. It's just... I know, right? How convincing did it sound? Spend, you make money at home with the bedazzler. I kind, of, I kind of don't think you would be making much of a profit having to spend money on, on things to put on, on your crappy clothes. It will be your parents <laughs> sympathising and giving you that petty money. Like, oh, you shouldn't have done that to my Gucci bag and suit. Yeah, there must be many disappointed um, grandparents at, at Christmas 1992 getting bedazzled <laughs> Target clothes. Um, we fast forward a couple of decades and the bedazzler was uh, possibly the influence to the trend of vajazzling, oh, <laughs> which happened oh, in the noughties. <laughs> and I bet that's painful too. Well, it's just glued on, isn't it? The, um, the yeah, I don't think you actually use a bedazzler to bejazzle. <laughs> that would be a little bit disturbing. <laughs> It'd be a good second use for it, and you can make even more money. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Ugh. I have no personal experience of bejazzling, so I can't no. tell you about it. 
Mute. Uh, we'll, we'll just move on from that. And yeah, please let's yeah. move on. And in regards to last week's competition with the Leotard Dancing Man, and they were trying to work out what of the three options that they had available, what this guy was advertising. And it turns out it was D, none of the above. You can listen back to episode six for that list. So it was actually an ad for Larder Cars Perth. Or Lard ah. Ass Cars. Yes. <laughs> Now, did you notice that you could purchase 20 inappropriate love themes from Larder Cars? Ah, there's a bit of a little See? Easter egg, yes. It all links. It yeah. all links. Well, after that, we have Tony's stand-up, which is a very popular little uh, routine that he does, uh, talking about Neil Diamond paying $48 for a concert to go see Neil Diamond. 48 bucks. Good thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're thinking here is uh, in these discretionary times, here's a sensible investment. But uh, <laughs> this was one of those um, sketches that back in the day, uh, my friend actually painstakingly transcribed by hand onto, onto into her notebook and then later typed up into Microsoft Write <laughs> back in 1992 and printed oh, it out God. on the school printer and then um, gave us all a copy of these kind of transcripts that she that she'd done from the late show and this is one of those ones so i've just got oh, i love that that's amazing <laughs> and then um because i had the hard copy when i did my original late show fan page on the GeoCities page back in 1996 i actually used that hard copy to transcribe onto the GeoCities page so yeah <laughs> which is yeah it's very very um yeah lengthy uh description of what happened to that transcript but uh yeah we really love that sketch, and whenever I, I read it, I just think of, of Tony's voice, and it's just got all these classic quotes. Especially when you listen to a Neil Diamond track and he's going to do crunchy granola. Yeah. You think for $48. Yeah. You think for $48. I, I didn't want... <laughs> <laughs> and it's also the song where he sings, I know a man, he's out of touch, and I was thinking, well, you can talk, Neil. You're wearing flared slacks. <laughs> Also, just quickly, um, on the DVD commentary, because this um, uh, routine is on the, the best of DVDs, on the commentary, uh, Tony describes it a bit further going to that Neil Diamond concert and talking about the point in the concert where everybody fails out all of the uh, new material. Yeah, the and, 55 songs from his shithouse new album, Lovescapes. Well, actually, <laughs> the, like this, the song that Tony describes in the commentary is actually from earlier. It's a song oh, called okay. Headed for the Future from 1986. And oh, wow. um, again, go and listen to it um, elsewhere. It's very widely available. Um, but, yeah, it's very it's very 1986 and, yeah, talking about how we're headed for the future and it's going to be a big ride and the future's now and I need you and you need me. And, like, even just listening to it, not even thinking about what it must have looked on a, on a, a concert stage, it's the perfect kind of shit ass. Go and find it. Neil Diamond <laughs> headed for the future. Yeah, it's not really hot August nights, is it? So it's it's very yeah. much more rather than good lord. Good lord. <laughs> and then Yeah we go. Yeah, with the oh, <laughs> the microphone there, the arm wiggles. <laughs> And he leads into his Billy Bragg routine. Yeah, I love the Billy Bragg song. It, it, it's a great song. The one to sing about Please Margaret. Please come back, Margaret Satchel. <laughs> his best British. Yeah, yeah because it's, it's a spot-on impression. 
and he doesn't want to sing about John Major. He looks like one of those blokes who wears shorts with socks and sandals. I can't do the singing. And yeah. has he got a moustache or not? It looks like it yeah. has from certain angles. <laughs> I like the line about how John Major looks like he should be out spotting trains. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is exactly what John Major looks like. You're not, you're not the only one who thinks like that, too. He's a bit of an oddball. Still is, isn't he? he? He's still around. I mean, the weird thing is that John Major's had a kind of renaissance in that he was against Brexit. And so he was one of the kind of sane elder statesman voices who were saying, actually, leaving the European Union is a really bad idea. And so people started to like John Major finally about 20 years after he'd left office <laughs> because he was saying that. You're a bit late, mate. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, still around in his 80s, I think, John, maybe. Well, after the Billy Bragg routine, you have a quick little commercial, which is now it's a product of its time, the Princess Die 0055 chat line, talking about how, are you lonely? Well, reach out to me. And, yeah, it was pretty much where the Charles and Die relationship was had completely fallen apart. Yeah, it was during the time the, of Squidgy Gate where those uh, conversations that she had were, were out. And so I think that the phone lines were tapped, weren't they? And um, they could have this, she was having this conversation. Uh, confidentiality assured for a couple of years at least. <laughs> it was all delightfully voiced by Jane. Now we have this is what the little teaser is for Countdown Classics. I am the king of the divan. Countdown Classics, and it's a salute to the lyricists. Now, I'll just rattle off all these songs that they pay tribute to, so they have little hooks and also lyrics that pop up because they're just paying homage to how the hell do they get those words into those songs and they become hits, really? So you have Adrian Gervitz with Classic. Gotta write a classic. I'm not going to play the grabs here because it will cost me some money. Okay. So- are, we, are, we, are we allowed to say the lyrics? If you've got the lyrics, by all means. But I can't okay. play the actual audio itself. I'll just say them. I won't sing them. So we have classic. Yeah. Gonna write a classic? Gonna write it in an attic? <laughs> <laughs> gonna write a classic? Gonna write it in an attic? He's got his attic rhyming dictionary there, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I love that edition. <laughs> now, the next song is Racy, Some Girls. Uh, yes. Some Girls Will. Some girls won't. That one. Some girls. Yeah, some need girls. A... <laughs> Please continue, Daniel. No, no, no. I like your version. Some girls need a little loving. <laughs> some, some girls, girls don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is all, almost as awkward as the De Niro sketches from last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, whoever wrote the lyrics of that has probably never met a woman, uh, my guess. Oh, there's more. <laughs> so there's a big question mark on a couple of them coming up. Well, just quickly with the, the Some Girls song, I mean, it, it is um, uh, written by a, a couple of uh, British pop powerhouses, Nicky Chin and Mike, uh, Mike Chapman, wrote quite a lot of hits. Uh, they proved that they didn't have to um, make them very thought-provoking. There was Dean Friedman, or Friedman, Lucky Stars. And, yeah, this is very cool and responsy. Did you see Lisa? Yes, I saw Lisa. Yes. <laughs> is that yes, why you're angry? <laughs> God, sorry, I'm gonna bring somebody... up. The... Hold on, I'm bringing up the lyrics. One second. <laughs> uh, okay, I thought I thought somebody else might might have these, but you know, to to do this little. Okay, I'll ask the question. Right. Oh, yeah. we'll, we'll take it, Daniel. I will be happy to <laughs> rendition with you. Go. <laughs> Did you see Lisa? Yes, I saw Lisa. Is that why you're angry? I wasn't angry. <laughs> Maybe a little. 
Not even maybe. It must be the weather. Now, don't be a baby. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. That's our little play. Thank you very much. Anything Sorry, at all to get around the loophole? Don't be a baby thing come from. <laughs> it rhymes with maybe. Most songs with maybe have to say baby. Okay. They, they all have the same edition of that rhyming dictionary. But rhyming Lisa with Lisa is just ultimate awesome. <laughs> the next song is Captain Antoniel. Do that to me one more time. I can never get enough of a man like you. Well, thank uh, you. Not you, Matthew. I mean, I'm, <laughs> you're, you're all right. That's, uh, you're nothing but the captain. I'm a married man, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, we have Plastic Bertrand, San Plan Bonvoir. Now, because of this episode, I had never heard of this song before, and this is when I was 11 years old. When this was shown, and I was watching it with Dad, I remember this like no tomorrow, because I went, wow, what song is that? And Dad goes, oh, well, after the episode's finished, well, I'll put it on for you. And he got out his vinyl of the song, and we played it on his turntable. I've gone, yes, that's fantastic. Wow, your dad was cool. <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have the subtitle lyrics here, so I'm going to try and do a rendition of it, so please bear with me. All right, here we go. I'm a frog on crack with a very different You are the king of the divine, could grab the cup of salt. I am the king of the divine. Sam Plan Boomwa. Sam Plan Boomwa. I think you get the idea. Sam Plan Boomwa. Sam Plan Boomwa. Hey. There we go. I'm sorry for uh, destroying. I'm attempt a Belgian accent there. Oh, well, I can do it again. Hold on. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> I am um, sorry for destroying that's... your ears. Oh, look, that, that was a pretty good rendition considering that apart from the ooh, 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 it's all with the same note. It yeah. I, I uh, had to teach myself music to recreate that little uh, bit of music. That's me legit playing to the uh, drum beat. I think you've got a future in doing karaoke backing tracks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll take that as a major compliment. Those actual lyrics are just so weird. I mean, I, I looked up, there's a, an English translation um, on uh, the lyrics website, genius.com, and, I mean, it's just as bonkers in English. Like, the, the, the part that was in, in The Late Show, the, the English translation goes... Okay, let's go. That babe was such a bitch. What a vibration coming on the doormat. File down, ruined, empty, but happy. You are the king of the divan. She says to me in passing, I am the king of the divan. It's all working out for me. It's all working out for me. It's all working out for me, 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 me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, So basically the song's about sex. Yeah. And him, him banging some chick. Okay. There's another tune out there. I can't remember who it's by, but there's another version of it called Jet Boy, Jet Girl. Yeah, I think that might be. That's Elton Motello. Um, and I think that might be the 
original. Like basically, Saplan Pour Moi was like the French remake, uh, although not a literal translation of the English version because the yeah Jet Boy Jet Girl it's a bit more explicit. The chorus of Jet Boy Jet Girl is something like "He gives me head." So Ooh. yeah, well, that's, that's a fellatio reference, ladies and gentlemen. That's very appropriate for countdown or countdown classics, isn't it? <laughs> The amount of sex jokes that they make in it. Especially that one time when one of the letters, the lights didn't work. I, I <laughs> well, guess. <laughs> but, but, of course, nothing nothing that Saplan Pour Moi could do could could top the brilliance of the next song that the the Countdown team talk about. Ah, yes. Here's one of my personal favourites. It's yeah. the Pina Colada song. If you like yeah. Pina Coladas... Getting caught in the rain. If you're not into yoga. If you have you have a brain. Like yeah, isn't it great to see computer programmers getting into rock and roll everywhere? Yeah, it's <laughs> such a classic line. But uh, they, they really do highlight that it's it's quite the story song, really. Mm. Yeah. I just like the yeah. fact that the lyric in it, yeah, saying that you know, he's not happy with his relationship, so he goes out and tries to have a bit of a fling. Goes catching up with the woman and turns out that it's his wife. It's his own lovely lady. Yeah. And she goes, oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> what a plot twist. And the other one is Jane's favourite, which is Charlene. I've never been to me. Oh, hang on, Jane. I'll just get the sick bags. You'll need these. Made famous uh, a couple of years later by Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, of course. It's like a poem set to music just about. I've been to Nice and the Isle of Greece while I sip champagne on a yacht. I moved like Harlow in Monte Carlo and showed them what I got. I've been undressed by kings and I've seen some things that a woman ain't supposed to see. <laughs> I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. <laughs> Yay! You're, you're, you're really bringing out the performer in me at this uh, episode. Such a musical episode. <laughs> I can always do Plastic and- Bertrand again. <laughs> Oh, we, we could do we could do Charlene to that backing track. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. There we go. Hey, you know what paradise is? It's a lie, a fantasy we create about people and places we'd like them to be. But you know what truth is? It's that little baby you're holding, and it's that man you fought with this morning, the same one you're going to make love with tonight. That's true. That's, That's love. That's revolting. <laughs> Bring on the sick bag. (laughs) (laughs) I just love Tom's face (laughs) during that bit. He's just (laughs) looking very scared and perturbed. (laughs) Oh, this is a fantastic episode. I hope you're enjoying it and you got up this far. This is great, and I don't think we'll be repeating this ever again. Uh, And we're almost sober, right? Yeah. (laughs) Our water's not vodka. Yeah, I'm afraid it's just it's it's coke no sugar um, with nothing added to it for me. Um, just one one other thing, really quickly. Um, I don't know whether you might have noticed with this segment, but it seems like uh, we've uh, gone from like it's a segment, it's a segment called Countdown Classics, but it doesn't seem like there's anything that's actually from Countdown in this episode. Well, I'd say that they'll be using snippets from the songs which would obviously feature in the episodes. Yeah. I think I think again it, it comes down to that lack of footage at the time, um, that they, they're sort of um, broadening the the scope of it to being just songs from the Countdown era rather than actual Countdown things. Well, the Rupert Holmes 
one. I've actually tried to look that up and I can't find the footage that they used on YouTube. So I don't think that's an official clip. I think they it was a specially recorded one or whatever the clips used from Countdown itself. Yeah, I kind of doubt Rage would have had it. It definitely would have been Countdown. <laughs> no. All right, the next segment is a commercial for over-the-top pest control with exploding kitchen pantries, dynamiting the toilet for silverfish and just destroying the entire lounge room. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there are some people with spider phobias who would probably burn their entire house down before they face a spider again. Uh, although I'm not one of them. I do like those little healthy, helpful creepy crawlies. Um, yeah, I think that's a really visual really funny clip. Yeah, and yeah, definitely I putting mean, uh, Aaron Bocare to use as well. Oh, yeah. Getting the money. Yeah, they they do a few of these sketches, don't they, which are basically parodies of ads, and they just sort of bang through a whole bunch of really, really good jokes, and, and they they give you a good, funny couple of minutes. So great sketch. Also, uh, a nice little uh, disc towards uh, Steve Weiser, uh in there as well. Oh, my God, what's that on the telly? It's revolting. It's only Steve Weiser. No, no, over there, a spider. <laughs> The next segment is House and Home with Jane, Jeff and Terry Bailey, Santo and Rob, promoting cladding, colour computers and every other single famous quote from this sketch under the sun. Yeah, it's just line after line of classics. It's, this is one of those other ones that my friend painstakingly transcribed, which is somewhere on the in the archives. Um, but there's some really, really funny ones, including um, the one about the, uh, yeah, it comes with a money back guarantee. That's right, we'll give you the money and we'll guarantee never to give it back. And uh, there's a 14-day cooling-off period, but that starts 14 days before you sign the contract. Um, yeah, there's some real classic ones in there. Don't forget, when they're on fire, we recommend hosing down. Because, yeah, they're fire-resistant, but if you put them too close to a flame, quote, they burn like buggery, unquote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's a reference, of course, as is mandatory in these sketches, to someone being a beautiful woman. In, in this case, they're talking about the investigators and Helen Wellings, who was the host of the investigators. Yep. Yeah, and she's uh, she's still around. I I have met her a few times in my in my work. Um, she's still the consumer affairs uh, reporter at Channel Seven, and uh, yeah, she still works very hard exposing dodgy companies and working for consumers. And mainly Jeff and Terry Bailey. That's right. Was <laughs> <laughs> it business scam corporation? Yep, that's the that's the lineage. Yep. 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 So scam is very highly regarded. <laughs> <laughs> and they also have their color computer, which is just a cardboard tube and a little reel-to-reel plastic disc with some cellophane on it. And some very ugly colors too. It's like really lurid, lurid yellows and greens and blues. Yeah, it was a bit like they were um, decorating a beach house. You know, they sort of slightly <laughs> left over the previous week's sketch. And I believe that this is the sketch as well that was mentioned on the DVD commentary that Jane was slightly not under the weather, but something that made her a little bit more comfortable beverage-wise. Yeah, she was well refreshed. Yes, she was <laughs> quite thirsty. Even though the um, cladding never cracks, uh, certainly uh, Rob, uh, Jane and Santo all cracked at various points in that sketch. Uh. <laughs> yep. There's one point where the, the audience just absolutely goes off when uh, when Jane butts in with, uh, surely there's a cooling off period. And they just lose it. Even though it's just like trying to feed, well, trying to feed a line to another gag. Like it's obviously something that uh, Rob and Santo forgot and Jane's trying to get them back on track, but it doesn't work. <laughs> well, the next segment is the toilet break with the natural seven. 
That's at a regular toilet break now with uh, Natural 7 performing Summer Holiday. And it's filmed during a gloomy winter day. Yeah, it yeah. looks like a very typical sort of overcast Melbourne day where they're attempting to enjoy the summer weather, um, which to be fair, Melbourne summers often can be a bit like that. But they're, they're on a yacht called Savaloo, uh, mm. sailing around Port Phillip Bay uh, in, in probably less clothes than they should have on that sort of a day. Yeah, I did look that yacht up. Did any of you look it up? It's completed in 1977 and it's still registered apparently. Um, it, oh, wow. it was a competitor in the Sydney to, to Namia yacht race this year. There's an you look it up. <laughs> yeah, you can look it up. This podcast is very informative. Yeah. It's a 14 meter yacht. Mm. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for your detective work, Kim. Someone's that's a good say, No, it's not. That's just a register that's not valid and it's probably expired 20 years ago. Someone's, gonna, <laughs> someone's going to contact us and clarify exactly what's happened to that yacht, I'm sure. Well, which is a shame because I, I would definitely like to hear more about the bloke with the deep voice in, in the Natural 7. <laughs> the baritone, yeah. <laughs> he got a bit of a laugh when he started singing his solo bit. What a chick magnet. Yeah. All right, and the next sketch being Kilos Galore with Tommy G as Barry Barjas and Mick as Gary. Now, this is at the time because it got a few boos, but we still have to highlight it. Tommy actually goes, well, you look like a bit like a collet man to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That brought a lot of boos. And Mm. Mick goes, well, I feel more like the chef from Healthy, Wealthy and Wise. Yeah, and Tom Tom says again, that's the one. (laughs) And they're promoting everything for the health unconscious. And the list which I've got here for the grocery shopping list is tubby milk with 95% fat, low-fiber low protein-free white sliced bread minus the crust, steamy hot chips with a shitload of extra salt, <laughs> yummy, 100% unnatural fruit juice. This is my favorite, recaffeinated coffee. Yep. <laughs> Cholesterol enriched butter and from the meat department, just pure fat. And yeah, the... cut away the flesh. Yes. And there he is just throwing it all away. <laughs> Big gross. For fruit, oh. uh, they have lolly bananas and toffee apples. For breakfast they have frosty loops. Just like a chocolate milkshake, only far less healthy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and fiberglass shapes. Yeah. Four hundred times your daily allowance of glass. <laughs> and the tagline is put some wobble back into your bottom i marvel at the uh costumes that uh, tom and mick wear which uh, yeah it's it's very it's very comedy fat people uh sort of looking yeah essentially it's sort of like a big sort of foam outer with little uh holes to put your arms out in yeah it just sort of helps a lot with the um, fast-paced nature of the sketch yeah i i like the fact that the costumes are a bit crappy and and i like the fact that the sketch itself is a bit crappy and and they kind of make it funnier by doing it live and and it, making it sort of as chaotic and ridiculous as possible just to to wring any extra laughs they can out of what's not great material, but it, it's fun to watch, I think, because they're really going for it. The next sketch is, it's a quick one. It's kind of reminds me of the Slay Club on the Degeneration Satanic Sketches CD. Oh, uh, um, yes. Yeah, which is Empties, Australia's least happening night spot, where on Monday it's quite early, but by 2 a.m. the place is closed. Tuesday, they're open till 5 a.m. in vain. And Wednesday, they say hello to the underworked barman. Thursday and Friday, no sign of anyone. And Saturday, they're shut. Yes. 
just everyday happenings in 2020. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. So that's... Apart from that one that Eddie Maguire went to, of course. Oh, the one up here in Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one. This is, a, this is a pretty simple sketch, really. You know, they they obviously had to build a nightclub set and uh, film Jason being bored in it, but really, it's it's all the voiceovers doing uh, all of the heavy lifting in it. The next sketch, and Santo refers back to the kilos galore set because uh, he kind of exposes a little flaw or a little behind the scenes where there is on that loaf of bread from the kilos galore is Tommy's lines written on notes. <laughs> and then Rob puts his feet up and he has lines on the, sh- the bottom of his shoes for Santo. <laughs> I love it when they do this sort of lingering at the scene of the crime, as it were, yes. and, yeah. sort of, and, and sort yeah. of um, uh, surprise each other with these. And uh, even Rob... Uh, says to Jane, you had quite a time with those padding guys before, didn't you? Yeah. I, lo- I love I love these little surprises try- trying to catch each other out. And this one, they're talking about Jane finding dolls from her childhood at her parents' place. Now, th- this kind of falls flat until Rob brings out the pearl up, but with Jane, uh, she shows uh, Chatty Cathy and another doll which changes eye colour, which looks really evil every time it blinks. There's also Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. That's so mm. creepy. That There's also Chrissy the doll where... Short hair, pull it out, and it becomes really long and it looks really violent. Yeah, that sound when she pulls the hair to make it longer is just terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is there were some weird dolls out there for girls, you know, in the seventies and eighties. Like there was one that you could get where you could basically take the kind of the stomach out and and the small baby would be inside. Like <laughs> really kind of weird sort of anatomical dolls that were supposed to be appealing to girls and I, I think I think maybe this is why I was never really a doll girl you know I never had any of these dolls and it's because they're <laughs> weird <laughs> so Jason brings out his dolls which he has Miss Hawaii Miss Turkey and Miss Chernobyl which has two heads which both <laughs> fall off yep yep and Rob has the basic instinct doll which at the time basic instinct being out in the cinemas and you can see that scene on the DVD. We fed the props department. They did a great job with that, getting a Ken and a Barbie and one of them stabbing the others. It's brilliant. I love Rob basically uh, having a little bit of a dig at Jane about uh, showing off her dolls and sort of imagining the conversation between Jane and her parents. I've just been here in a national television series. What are you going to do on it? I'm going to talk about my dolls. <laughs> I think, again, again, unscripted. And I, I love it when it goes unscripted like that. Yeah, there's yeah. a little bit of a bit of chemistry between Rob and Jane there when he puts yeah. his, uh, his hand on her arm. I thought. <laughs> Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. We all are. We're all reading too much into it. Yeah, there's, there's no future in it at all, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> so the next bit is the news update, which we have Saddam hosts children's show, Iraqi Romper Room, and it shows footage of Saddam at a table, and he goes, everybody sit down type thing. Yeah, whatever. It's a visual joke. <laughs> <laughs> I can't bother explaining it. Uh, Serbian attack wipes out Florida. Yeah, that's in regards yeah. to another hurricane joke and we have woody allen custody case continues with mia farrow trying to flee with the kids and has footage of a junk boat and it brought a lot of booze that one yeah it really did so we have stories with the un declaring 
uh, an exclusion zone over Iraq, which is enforced by the US, the UK, and France. And they show footage of the Yoplait. <laughs> <laughs> the, the police officer in the Yoplait tub. That's fantastic. So, such an iconic yeah, that- moment in the 90s. At least they didn't cut away to the policeman in Allo Allo. Oh, yeah, good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, that was a great joke. That was a great one. Yeah. Uh, Rose Hancock, the widow of Lang Hancock, uh, remarries to a financial advisor. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we finance. gave her some financial advice there. And we have a – you know what? I'm going to skip over that one because it was – very, it's a very sensitive one. Basically, sex charge. Oh, is it the and yep. the organ? Yeah. Yep. Okay. yeah. I will admit it's a pretty obvious joke, but I think we can probably go without commenting on it. So, yeah, next one. Yeah, next one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> US vigilantes in Australia. Now, this one was a bit weird. So, they just had, I guess, people who were vigilantes in the US coming to Australia and trying to help things out, make, do things right. And it's just got Jason as one of the US vigilantes pointing out little flaws in the Australian lifestyle, such as chewing gum on the trains and under the seats. and Not not standing up for pensioners. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, to be fair, was a big issue on school buses in 1992. So, it was. Yeah. So with that one, uh, when we have... The next story, which is in Spain, and yeah, this is the helicopter crashing into the pool, which unfortunately someone lost their life. And redone, yeah, Australia's funniest home video, sound effects, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that was what that, yeah. that uh, as we mentioned earlier, they were complaining about, so it was quite tasteless. And yeah, again, it's probably more a joke about funniest home videos than that One, tragic news, yeah. 100%. Yep. Yep. I mean, we've, I mean, we've we've technically had the joke before because it was done. The same joke was done mm. to the Rodney King footage, which was mm. product of its time. Yeah, really, really odd. And now we have the TV guide at ten thirty, stomping ground, and the late show will be shown at nine thirty, which is a future mention at the end of the yeah. show. Yeah, next next week uh, because of the music special Stomping Ground. Yeah, the late show is going to be on at nine thirty. And if you YouTube it, mm. the Stomping Ground special is actually on there. So next episode, you can. Watch late your VHS copy of the Late Show as well as Stomping Ground straight after on YouTube, uh, but the program guide for next week won't affect the Spaz family. That's a relief because I was a massive fan of the Spaz family. That's the number one rating show. That's the reason why <laughs> yeah, the ABC like had the budget. If you like piano accordions, you need to watch the Spaz family. Love is a piano accordion, and same with Spaz family. <laughs> I decided to do a, a little image search for the uh the piano accordion playing family that are portraying uh spaz family and uh it came up with two answers um the first is that it's the alan gardner accordion band um on the front cover of their album play it again uh but it was also used as the front cover for the song home entertainment system from lazaro's dog uh, aka the song from the jvc ads wow oh um i don't know what the alan gardner accordion band sounds like but um <laughs> are they think... not on spotify i couldn't find them unfortunately no I know. Oh, that's, that's a, I know. That's I, I, find, I find a lot of stuff on Spotify, but not that one. Oh, shucks. Spotify missing out. Put yourselves together, Spotify, and get on with it. Now we have Mick and Jace who have done another little road trip and they've gone to Wobby's World. Yeah, Wobby's World is something that, that Melbourne people who grew up in Melbourne often talk about as, as being quite a crappy sort of local attraction. And. Um, yeah, certainly that's borne out by what Mick and Jace show us. 
That closed in 1999. That late. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, the Wikipedia entry where it says, the park was almost certainly being satirised by the Melbourne-based TV sketch comedy show, The Late Show. <laughs> almost <laughs> certainly. <laughs> okay. So whoever, whoever wrote it was like, there's this talk. I've got a little bit of doubt about this. Maybe they actually weren't being serious. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yes. Is Wobby's World ripping off uh, Piss Week World or is Piss Week World ripping off Wobby's World? Who can tell? All right. Now we have Graham and the Colonel and they enter the studio via ticker tape parade style. I love the Olympians. And, you know, they're all complaining about where was their parade? Because there must have been the parade in Melbourne that week. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we see the footage of it. Yeah. Where the Olympians have come back from Barcelona. Or Barcelona. Barcelona. <laughs> and they show footage of the Olympians on parade. I missed this. I, all I've got in my notes is Steve Monaghetti and a Pope Mobile. Yeah. So if anyone can explain that bit, I didn't really <laughs> expand too much on it. I think yeah. that was um, some sort of, of uh, a vehicle that was cleaning up all of the ticker tape there at the end. That did look very Pope Mobile like. Ah. Uh, because I've got here as well, Graham and the Colonel accuse of there's accusations of a cover-up, a la Kennedy assassination, where one of the Olympians gets taken out by a toilet roll, an armor-piercing to- toilet roll. Yes. Yeah. And when they show who it was up on the balcony, also sorry, the book depository window, <laughs> and it mm. looked like a piss week kid or a future yeah. piss week kid. I like the fact that they had, you know, they got this home movie footage from a Mrs. Zapruder. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> and you can, you can see the the grassy knoll and the book depository, and you know they really, really riffed on the whole JFK assassination vibe with this. They did all the CIA agents wandering around, and then that's when they say, "Oh, it's a mystery, a mystery." <laughs> I did really good with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that they were able to uh, convince one of the Olympians to sort of do the back and to the left, and then sort of fall down in public, essentially, in the middle of a ticker tape parade. So after that, they also spoke about Mick Doohan returning to the 500cc championship after he broke his leg and Santo, sorry, the colonel, tries to, you know, was discussing how can you race when people are trying to sign your plaster and you're constantly leaning over. <laughs> that was such a motorcycle <laughs> joke. And a lovely bit of uh, broad pantomime from... Um, Graham and the Colonel as well. Yeah. And then they receive a complaint from Lady Colonel. Well, <laughs> Graham refers to her as Lady Colonel, but Colonel goes, no, that's definitely not Lady Colonel. Saying, are they... Who was it then? <laughs> yeah. Um, they say they received a complaint over the Montagetti joke, but went straight over our heads. Well, went straight over mine. So after that, we have the closing, and that is Jason is concerned about Bert Newton and how big his head is getting. I think we all were in the early 90s. It, it was rapidly expanding. It was. That's when uh, he showed some artwork of Bert and his giant head, Moonface. Yeah, and, and invited everyone to do their own little renditions and um, they could set up a little Bert gallery. Or a, uh, set up a Bert Newton art prize was the other one. Yeah. <laughs> and they were going... The Archie Bert prize it should have been. Yeah. <laughs> And they did have some worst album covers, but they didn't have time to show them. So they moved on, showed the closing credits, and they also explained that they were going to start the next week at 9.30, all because of Stomping Ground. And, yeah, then you have the closing, which Santa uses the colour computer on the Burt painting, and Jason and Tony solicit the tickets. Yeah, yeah. Tony also uh, brings out the um, loaf of bread again uh, to try and remember his lines again. 
Yes, a quick so, little... Again, again, lingering at the scene of the crime. And we, we've forgotten the um, credit for Michael Hirsch, and he was credited as the polystyrene headstone artist from from the sketch, uh, the I say, I say, I say sketch, where the they, they went to the graveyard and, and they said, you know, oh, look at this guy, so cute, he's got a polystyrene headstone, which is <laughs> made by Michael Hirsch. Now, also, there's a few other special guests in the closing credits. Most we know, so Andrew Goodwin from the uh, heckling people at their work uh, sketch, Steve Monagetti from Graham and the Colonel, George Negus from the opening, uh, Ed Phillips uh, getting heckled as well. Now, there's three here. I've got no idea uh, where they are. Um, there's John Sheward, Dave Vassiliou, and Alan Jones. Um, I don't think it's the uh, radio shock jock now on Sky News, Alan Jones unless you were somehow hiding in the audience or something. It's not the racing car driver either, Alan Jones? No, possibly not. So, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything looking up those three names, but um, they were apparently in Season 1, Episode 7. Well, they did a top effort in that episode, so much that we have to give them the acknowledgement that they deserve. Yeah. Well, that wraps up Season 1, Episode 7 of The Late Show. And... Now, I will throw back to the very beginning with Lance's... I made love to her like a tiger. Like a (laughs) tiger. And I'm putting the call out for anyone who would like to contribute their own quotes from The Late Show because I would like to put together a little bit of a montage to pay tribute to the show and you, the fans who are also listening. Here are two submissions which I've received as well. One is from Sebastian B., uh, good day from uh, Dominic. How are you? No, miss, mister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one of the uh, Street Talk Fox Pop segments. Yes. Yep. Wow. And one from Pete F, who does Santo the Magnificent. Ladies and gentlemen, do you believe in mental telepathy? No, I hear you think. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's that simple. And you know what? I might as well... Like if you submit it, and I don't really have a prize, but I'm happy to send you a Ripper final. <laughs> so you can either choose Ripper, Ripper 76 or Ripper 77, and I can give that to a random that decides to submit the probably the best one that they can do. So send an email, champagnelateshow at gmail.com, or send us a tweet to the link uh, wherever you're hosting it on YouTube or whatever at TLS Champagne. Just simply record it on your mobile phone, on your voice memos, or wherever you can, and just send it through, and we'll try and include it in the next episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. It's really that simple. Now, I'm disappointed that that we haven't had any contributions from women so far, and there was a reference earlier in in this podcast to um, Snowy, and maybe maybe someone, maybe some female listener out there can give us something like, or say something in Italian. What was it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then he says, hydroelectricita. Like that. So, so you know, I, I think it's something. Yeah. Because there's, there's some good things that Jane and, and Lady Judith have to say in the late show. So let's hear them, guys. You can. Or girls. Yep. Just send it through. Um, you can go on a, a pseudonym or whatever you want. If you just want to be known as anonymous, please send it through. You don't have to be embarrassed by it. Otherwise, you're going to have to put up with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you want to do an impression of any of the songs or whatever that would be used in Countdown Classics, yeah, I'll leave that alone. 
All right. Other than that, so, no. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm hoping that it will just sort of be on a constant loop. That's that music. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to go out with this on the Champagne Comedy okay. Podcast. So, Let's go out with it. All right. That's the end of episode seven of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. My name's Matt, and thank you very much, Alison, Kim, and Daniel, for coming on and talking crap, really. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Talk. That's another Thanks. segment. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> a future one. So, <laughs> once again, please keep us subscribed to all your podcast feeds and everything. Visit champagnecomedy.com. Send us feedback. Anything at all. It can be a warning key, could be a pigeon. Anything. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a great time. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. I'm a frog on crack. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions. Matt Fulton.com.au